Welcome to another wild conversation with zoologist Manita Prasad from the Greater Vancouver Zoo. This one's kind of exciting. So you thought maybe it'd be a good idea to talk about Canadian biomes. So what is a biome? Oh, good question. And I hope I'm saying that right. It's yes. not a biome, is biome. it? <laughs> Biomes. So a biome is a large naturally occurring community of flora and fauna, which are which is plants and animals that occupy a major habitat. Um, and geography and climate have major influences on how biomes are categorized. So in Canada, we have five major biomes. Uh, the Arctic tundra, grasslands, boreal forest, temperate deciduous forest, and mountain forest. So you can see there's a lot of forest in Canada. <laughs> yes. And that's pretty rare, eh, for world countries, because we, I mean, we are the if I'm not mistaken, the second largest country in terms of manned la- land mass in the world next to Russia. Yes. And so we we kind of cover a whole gamut here. Mm-hmm. We certainly do, yeah. Okay. So let's, let's so a biome, is a biome, like how, what's the relationship between biome and, and climate? So basically, so let's think of, let, let's, let's talk about BC. Okay. BC, we are very unique in the fact that we are separated from the rest of Canada by the mountains. Mm, yeah. So our climate is very distinct compared to the rest of Canada because the mountains kind of form a natural barrier. Uh, so the animals that we have specifically in BC are very unique to us, like Rocky Mountain goats, for example. They pretty much rely on the Rocky Mountains and really don't occur throughout the rest of Canada, right? So they're very distinct based on what their requirements are uh, based on, on, on climate. So they pretty much rely on the Rocky Mountain climate for, uh, shelter, for food, for habitat, right? So... Okay. And, and are those the ones, like, say you're driving, you know, up towards, like, Banff or something like that, towards, you know, through the Rocky Mountains, and you see them kind of all on the road or, like, hanging on a cliff on the mountain. But they're they're made to, you know, be able to do that, right? Yeah. I think what you see are mostly bighorn sheep. I that's what drive. I, yes, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I used to drive back and forth from Saskatchewan every year, and my uh, entire life, I have only seen one Rocky Mountain goat in all my years. So if you see one in the wild, you should consider it a very special sighting. So how would you, uh, you know, decide what was a Rocky Mountain goat and like tell the difference between that and uh, bighorn sheep? Yeah, so bighorn sheep are basically, basically look like a goat. They have the big um, horns that curve around backwards. Right. Uh, whereas a Rocky Mountain goat is white, just pure white. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have very small horns compared to the bighorn sheep. Hmm. Okay. I'll, I'll be on the lookout now. It's good luck. <laughs> I know. Apparently it's difficult. <laughs> it's like finding where's Waldo. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so let's let's start taking a look at, uh, at, at some of the regions. So first of all, the tundra. We always joke about the frozen tundra, and it's hard to believe that there are actual creatures that live up in those places. And they like it, that climate. Yeah, and it looks so desolate. Yeah, exactly. So basically the Arctic tundra is just a cold desert. It's very low temperatures for most of the year. It has an incredibly short growing season. So you can imagine that food supply for the animals that live up there are 
are very limited. Uh, it has poor soil quality. There's a permafrost layer beneath the soil and very little precipitation throughout the year, so less than 25 centimeters a year. So very harsh, very harsh climate. So you think of an animal like the musk ox, who pretty much thrives in the Arctic tundra. Um, and just think about some of the adaptations that a musk ox has uh, to survive that climate. One of the major ones being their fur. They actually have um, two layers of fur uh, that help them survive in that climate. So they've got um, a woolly underlayer called kiviet, which is basically the warming layer. Uh, so very soft, like down, and uh, keeps them warm. And then they also have longer guard hairs, which gives them their characteristic look, because um, they just kind of look like a big woolly beast. And the longer guard hairs are more of an insulating layer, so they trap air and help warm their body. And the really interesting thing about muskox is their entire body is covered in fur, except for the space between their nostrils and their lips. <laughs> Can you imagine? They need a balaclava. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, what do they eat? And like what? What? Like what? Yeah. How do they survive if it's just you know a tundra and there's not much you know soil or anything like that? So one of their adaptations is actually um, their sharp hooves. So they actually use that to break through the snow to get to grasses and lichens and mosses that are that are underneath uh, the layer of snow. Wow. Okay. Uh, you're listening to a wild conversation with Manita Prasad from the Greater Vancouver Zoo, and we're talking about Canadian biomes today, since it's just after Canada Day. Red Fox also lives on the tundra. That surprises me. I thought he would live, like, you know, with Winnie the Pooh and stuff. <laughs> Well, red foxes actually have a very wide range, um, and they basically range from the Arctic tundra, tundra all the way down to um, Central America. So they can adapt to a wide variety of habitats. But, uh, yeah, they do like to spend a lot of time in the Arctic tundra, and it's because um, one of their favorite food items is there. There is a bird called the snow goose. Oh, yes. That, uh, nests up in the Arctic tundra. And one of their favorite food items is uh, eggs or snow goose chicks. Mm, <laughs> those sly red foxes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, those sly red foxes, <laughs> which is really funny. We do have two red fox here at the zoo. Um, but unlike their name, they're not actually red at all. <laughs> they are the black coloration. Oh. Right, I remember <laughs> yeah, seeing we those them. and yeah. learning about them when we came to visit you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Holly and Mayhem are, are the two that we have here. And uh, Holly was uh, a rescue, so she is super shy. She spends most of her day hiding. But Mayhem is a little ham who spends all of his day lounging up on um, logs that are in their enclosure. So one of the adaptations that red foxes have is they have a really big bushy tail. And that really helps them when they're in um in the Arctic tundra, because they will often sleep out in the open rather than in a den, and they'll use that big bushy tail and wrap it around themselves um, to keep themselves warm, like even when they're completely covered in snow, like they prefer to sleep out in snow and just use their tail to keep them warm. They have to be difficult. (laughs) It's kind of like a dog. Sometimes dogs, you know, you you see them curl up in when they're outside into like, you know, tight croissant kind of shape (laughs) and then cover their noses with their tails to keep them warm. 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, let's move on to the grassland. Uh, so prairies, prairie dogs, aren't they also called gophers? Or are they different? No, gophers are different. Oh, okay. <laughs> there are gophers that live in the ground, but prairie dogs are more more robust, I guess I want to say. Okay. Are they similar to a ground squirrel? Uh, ground squirrels are very similar to tree squirrels. It's just that they choose to den in the ground. Mm. So it's, it, it's a, a little bit different. Their coloration is a little bit different. Prairie dogs, I guess I would um, say they are more similar to meerkats. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just in, in, in the way that they run their families and their habitats. But uh, prairie dogs, so grasslands have a longer growing season. They have higher temperatures, rich fertile soil, and a lot more precipitation. So they get, you know, about anywhere from 25 to 75 centimeters a year. So you can imagine that uh, there's just more richer plant life there. Right. And, and prairie dogs, they're never found in moist areas. They prefer prefer open arid plains. Um but the one thing about prairie dogs is that they're a favorite prey item. Mm-hmm. So they're easily preyed upon. Uh, so they live in very large groups because they're safety in numbers. And they have a very social um, life. Like they live in large colonies and kind of like prairie dog towns. <laughs> so they do have quite the, quite the hierarchy and a very, very extensive network of underground tunnels. So it really is quite a, quite a social living for them. I've watched that show Meerkat Manor before on TV. And if you say they're kind of like meerkats, they live in big kind of posses as well. But it's so funny because they've got one that will kind of, you know, watch out for, you know, prey or predators. And the other ones will kind of go about their day and then they'll swap in and out like that. Yeah, exactly. So they each play a very important role in in their community. Okay. This is a wild conversation with Manita Prasad from the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Experience the wonders of nature at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Come explore a beautiful open-air park with over 120 acres. Connect with nature and support local conservation efforts. Get closer at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Visit (laughs) gvzoo.com. Welcome back to a wild conversation on Country 107.1 with Manita Prasad from the Greater Vancouver Zoo. We're talking about all the different zones in Canada and animals. So we're looking at this vast country and we're moving on to the boreal forest now. Uh, one of the largest animals like on land is the moose. Am I, am I right there? They're, they're huge, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, something that a lot of people don't consider when they think of the moose, they're actually uh, a species of deer. So they are the largest deer species in North America. Oh, whoa. Okay. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> you would never think to compare a moose to uh, a deer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? Never seen a moose in the wild. You haven't? No. When I lived in Whistler, there was one that kind of frequented, like, you know, around the village area. Mm-hmm. So they had to be really cautious of it because they didn't want to, um, you know, mm-hmm. threaten it or anything like that. There just wasn't a lot of moose in Mississauga growing up. You would think. Yeah. The <laughs> moose of Mississauga. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> um, and also in the boreal forest, uh, the lynx, which is a cat-ish mm-hmm. kind of. Lots of these in Whistler. I yeah. think, is it lynx? But there's there's a different cat, or I always get them confused. Yeah, there is a bobcat as bobcat. well that we have in Canada. So it's real, they're both so secretive, though. It's very rare to see either of them in mm. the wild. Okay. And what's the difference between, like, a bobcat and a cougar? 
Well, Bobcat is a lot smaller. Okay. A Bobcat kind of um, looks like a house cat, but on, you know. Yeah, a Bobcat is incredibly furry. It's just a big ball of fluff. Um, okay. Whereas Cougar is a lot sleeker. Right. You know, his hair is not as long, nearly as long as a Bobcat. Mm. Okay. Uh, let's move on to the temperate deciduous forest. Um, okay. Yeah, so well, like, what does this cover? <laughs> <laughs> so deciduous uh, trees, basically. So they're the trees that lose their leaves uh, during the winter, right? So they right. have a longer growing season, higher temperatures, fertile soil, and the plant life in a deciduous forest supports so many animals. But the unfortunate part about it is that the climate also is very attractive to humans. So we get a lot of animals that, like raccoons, for example, that are really good at adapting to life in uh, urban environments. Like your trash can. (laughs) We had one on our fence last night, actually. (laughs) Yeah, so raccoons prefer to build dens in trees, but always um, are close to water. They're nocturnal, so they have excellent night vision. Um, and the neat thing about raccoons is they have a highly developed tactile sense, which means they're very particular about their hands. Uh, we used to have a group of uh, rescued raccoons that we had at the zoo, and it was always very interesting to watch them eat because they literally would wash their food in water and were constantly washing their hands. So <laughs> Perfect for would... COVID-19. <laughs> exactly. That's what I was just going to say. <laughs> And uh, porcupines are also, uh, I've never seen a porcupine in a Neither while have I. Either. Oh, you guys are really missing out. We had a porcupine here named Sweet Pea, who I absolutely adore. He was actually my favorite outreach animal. I would take him with me everywhere. Uh, porcupines do spend a lot of time on the ground. They really are dependent on ground cover for protection from predators. Um, but they are predominantly tree dwellers. So when you're when you look at a porcupine and you're looking for a porcupine, you don't think to look up at the trees, but that's how they protect themselves from from predation. They spend a lot of time in trees and they use different trees to rest in and different trees to feed in because they don't want to leave food scraps uh, around the trees that they're resting in, so predators can find them. So they're actually quite intelligent uh, animals and. Their, their activity is really dictated by the presence of other species, uh, like deers and predators. So they move based on what other animals are present in their environment. Incredibly fascinating species. Do they, like, release their quills? Like, you, you see lots of pictures of dogs with mm. all the quills in their snout. Is that like, and does that hurt a porcupine when they do that? No, no, it doesn't hurt them at all. No. Uh, but they don't have the ability to, like, uh, sometimes they'll swing their tail around and uh, flick some of the quills, but, right. like, they don't have the ability to shoot them or anything. It's, yeah. it's usually because the predator comes too close to the porcupine and right. gets, gets, gets stuck with quills. That would be concerning if they could just shoot them. Yeah, that <laughs> would be. But wouldn't that, and could, engage. I, I could just see, a, like, a little baby porcupine going, Mommy, I want a, I want a superpower. Yeah, I want to um, shoot my quills. <laughs> All right. And the mountain forest region of Canada is one that we are extremely familiar with here. Um, And uh, are we to understand that you've got a couple of new additions at the Greater Vancouver Zoo? 
Yeah, we certainly do. Um, so first I'm going to talk about mountain goat. We already okay. touched on mountain goat briefly, but we actually do have a little baby mountain goat <gasps> that was born here at the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Her name is CJ. She right. is just over one month old now. Yeah. So if you get a chance to come visit the zoo, you need to spend some time at the mountain goat enclosure to see if you can spy our little our little baby mountain goat. Oh. I've seen yeah, I've seen pictures of her on your uh, on your Instagram account. She's super cute. Yeah, they are super adorable. And the neat thing about mountain goats is like they're up and moving literally within hours. Uh, so mom already does a good job keeping her well hidden, but we have like a mountain type structure in the mountain goat enclosure and the baby is already up and down that mountain and <laughs> literally was up and down that mountain within hours of birth. Oh my wow. goodness. Um, and also, uh, before we get to the new additions, uh, cougars. As, as a uh, as a gravel bike rider and as a former mountain bike rider, cougars scare the me crap too. out of me. Yep, because they'll stalk you and they'll eat you, won't they? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. I didn't think you expected to agree <laughs> with me. <laughs> you always. I hear that like if you're hiking or something, a cougar's already seen you well before you even get one glimpse of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. You've probably been stalked by cougars several times oh, if you gosh. are out in the mountains <laughs> and have no clue. <laughs> yeah, they're incredibly secretive animals. We've got two beauties here at the zoo, um, Rocket and Rosie. Both of them were, were rescues and have amazing stories. I won't get into their stories, though, because I could talk about them for hours. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, you told us yeah, about that. Yeah, you told that. us that they are really unique stories, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so they are sweethearts. We actually just moved them to a new enclosure, so they're adjusting to their new enclosure in, in, in the cat house. So it's, I've actually spent hours babysitting them and just kind of watching how they interact with their new surroundings, so it's, it's been wonderful. Yeah. And are they enjoying it so far? Rosie is. I think Rocket needs a little bit more time to adjust. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, what, what makes a cougar attack? Like, like, cause I mean, it's rare. Is it movement? Yeah. Well, they're, they're ambush, um, predators, right? So right. they basically rely on stalking, uh, will hunker down real low, uh, protect themselves, you know, in the shadows and tall grasses and, and pounce when they are absolutely certain that they can catch that prey item. Mm. Okay. Well, they'll never get me on my bike. I'm just too fast. Just hold your bike up in the air and yell yeah. at it. All right. Let's 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 talk about your, your new additions. You seem really excited about this. I am incredibly excited about this. Uh, so uh, we have... So here's the wonderful thing. Like, part of the reason why I love my job is all the different things that I get to be involved uh, with. So we have the opportunity to take in three orphaned grizzly bears from Alberta. Oh. Uh, so their mom, unfortunately, was uh, killed in, a, in a, an aggressive encounter with some hunters. Oh, gosh. Uh, so these bears were left, you know, alone, thri- trying to survive on their own in, in the wild. They were, they were taken in and transferred to our facility. And the wonderful thing, and why I say it's so exciting for me, is because there's all sorts of permitting. Like, there's so much that goes into uh, getting animals uh, to the zoo like this. And, you know, you, you think about what's the shortest trans- transit time for them, because obviously you don't want them to be stressed. Like, 
being in a small crate and being transported, it's you, you, you kind of always have to put animal health and welfare first. So what's the best case scenario for the animals? And we did actually end up flying these guys out here. And I was the one who went and picked them up from the airport and got to transport transport them back to the zoo and unload them into their, their new home. So that's all very, very exciting for me. And uh, the three that we received here are uh, two females and a male. Uh, so they are uh, triplets, brothers and sisters, and uh, yeah, are are getting settled in their new enclosure. We haven't uh, introduced them to their complete enclosure yet. Uh, they have access to their barn and their holding area, but we will be letting them out into their enclosure within the next couple of days, and and I'll get to go sit up there and babysit and watch them. Uh, while they discover their new surroundings. So it's an incredibly exciting time for us here at the zoo. And you need some help naming them, right? uh, We do need help naming them. We don't have, they don't have names at all. We just call them uh, male and female one and female two. How about Chris and Jess and Manita? (laughs) (laughs) Two female and a male. For the month of July, we will be holding a naming contest. So if you would like to submit your name, you can definitely do it. I think we'll let someone else name them. So so how do do you do that? How do you submit the names? The, I don't, it's going to be online. We haven't figured out the format yet. All right. Definitely keep an eye on that. on uh, our our website, that's okay. where we'll be able to to submit the names, and then we'll have a, a panel of judges who will decide who the winners are. Okay, and uh, one of the prizes is a family membership to the zoo for a year, and as well, you will get to have a, a close encounter with these three beautiful baby cubs. Oh, fantastic! Awesome. Well, congratulations. Thank you. We're very excited that they've joined us here at the zoo. This has been a wild conversation with Manita Prasad from the Greater Vancouver Zoo. Uh, thanks again, Manita. We'll talk next week. We better because yeah, so we can't do it by ourselves. Okay. <laughs> <laughs>